Welcome to the Love and Grace podcast. My name is Joel Minkin, and today I have got Ronnie Barker. Hey. And via Zoom, we have got Keith Smith. How are we doing, Keith? Hey, doing great. Awesome. Glad to be with you guys today. Yes. Um, let's um, let's let's start with a couple questions here. Um, first off, where where's home? Where's home right now? I am actually in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Worcester is the community that I live in. Did you grow up in a Christian family? I I did. Um, I am I'm actually originally from Southern California, uh, Los Angeles area, and um, as far back as I can remember, uh, we were in church. Uh, I think I, I first started off uh, going to church with my grandparents at their church, uh, which was a Baptist church. And then our family uh, started going to a, um, a holiness church, uh, Church of God. And uh, I grew up from that point on. I was probably, if I remember right, I was probably around four or five when we started attending that church. And um it was a uh, more legalistic uh, type of church environment, but that's that's my memory from growing up. Okay, so what led you to a place where you first encountered Jesus? Wow, I would say that you know, as as a kid, I was always just like super sensitive to um, the presence of God, and so. Uh, throughout like childhood, there'll be different moments where uh, I felt like God encounters. I, I probably couldn't really just put it uh, in words or articulate what was happening. Um, but I knew what it felt like to encounter like, like the presence. Um, and so ultimately, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, I had an encounter where the presence of, I would just say the presence of Jesus showed up uh, at a, at my work. I uh, worked for the city parks and I was about to open up early that morning. Uh, no one else was at the park and my office space just was invaded with uh, just this tangible presence of Jesus. And um, that's where I, I encountered kind of uh, in a place of re- repentance and uh, surrender and all of that with a bunch of tears and snot. (laughs) A good thing I probably was by myself. It was not pretty. Um, But that's, that's kind of where I first, uh, I would say, uh, experienced. Uh, It wasn't in a church gathering. Uh, I I look at it almost like Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one. And that's kind of how I, started following Jesus was after that. Um, was there a point when you finally moved out, um, out from your parents' home that you questioned or, or came to a realization is, Hey, yeah, I'm actually believe I'm following the right thing. Um, yeah, it was shortly after that. Um, I finished uh, high school, uh, 94 and, uh, started college uh, that December, the December of 94, and uh, moved out from my, my parents' house to be closer to the college campus, moved in with my grandparents, uh, was a closer commute. And um, it's like during that season of uh, first like year of college uh, was just definitely a, a formative season of being kind of on my own uh, in paving a path with just uh, my personal relationship and intimacy uh, with with God. Um, I had to take the bus, uh, the city bus, from the San Fernando Valley to downtown LA, uh, which actually uh, was a, a nice amount of time. And so back then I, you know, had my headphones and uh, Walkman with <laughs> recording tapes of church services and singing and it was just i was locked in and that was probably super formative uh early on for me you're now a pastor correct 
Yeah, that's right. Where, what led you to getting to the the point where you think, hey, I I should probably be a minister and start start sharing my experiences with other people. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I I was given opportunities um, by some of the leaders in my church that I grew up in uh, to exercise in in different forms of uh, ministry. Uh, There was a drug and alcohol rehabilitation camp that um, was not far from our church, maybe about 20 miles north of our church, uh, that uh, a group would hold Bible studies there uh, every Tuesday evening. And I started attending, uh, just carrying Bibles and uh, hymnal books and uh, helping to sing. And eventually, uh, I started kind of exhorting uh, after a Bible study, just sharing my personal testimony. Um, and after doing that for maybe about a year or so, uh, the leader was just like, why don't you uh, prepare uh, a lesson to, to share? And uh, so I did. And so for the first time, it's like I'm studying, taking notes, listening to like uh, to God while I'm, while I'm praying. And, uh, and I just started sharing and that, that Bible study and giving altar calls and praying with people. And um, that was early on. Um, I was probably around 19 at that time. Uh, I got married. Well, let's see, that was 94. I, I got married 98. And uh, my wife and I uh, just really both felt like uh, there was a, a call on our lives for, for ministry and uh, just different uh, confirmations that we both were kind of getting during that time. And so um, I went to our, our leaders and shared that and they started kind of doing some mentoring and discipling and preparing for that. And uh, later that summer of 98, uh, I officially started uh, as a uh, lay minister in our church, uh, getting up sharing um, and kind of recognized uh, that, you know, God's hand was on my life and uh, a pastor in Dallas invited me to come and uh, help replant the church there. And so my wife and I moved to Dallas, Texas in 99 um, to, to help with ministry at a, a church there. And from that point on, it's just been a, a deeper call uh, into Christ, into uh, the heart of God um, that led us uh, into working in group homes. Uh, in Dallas, while we were helping with the church, we started working in uh, residential treatment centers uh, for teens. Uh, and just that rocked us, man. I mean, you know, that that is like, I think, the, the ultimate seminary, uh, putting your uh, feet on the ground, rolling your sleeves up and engaging uh, with people. Uh, I learned so much about uh, God as a, a, a good father. Uh from working at trying to be a father figure uh, for for teens that didn't have families and uh, just had rough backgrounds uh, in, in, in family settings. And so uh, that really, I believe, was kind of like the thing that broke up the ground, I think, in my heart that led me out of a more legalistic type of uh, faith and church background to actually encountering uh, the love and grace uh, of God as a good father was probably through those experiences. You, you're saying some of those experiences helped you. What um, is there something that just like really a big part that just God expressed? Hey, this is the direction that I am actually going. I I I work in love and grace. Was there something that? that was just like one yeah. big thing or was it kind of a, a a bunch of little things? There were a bunch of little things that kind of culminated in a, a God encounter working with those, uh, those teens. Uh, I realized that in order for us to reach them, um, everything that we kind of experienced as a part of our religious upbringing, uh, which was mostly following rules uh, very uh, focused on outward, you know, uh, appearances and dress and what you don't do. 
when it came to reaching um, these young ladies who have been molested and raped and abused and neglected, it's like, you know, to try to dress them all up like we were raised uh, wasn't going to really touch their hearts. And uh, we found that it was being in the trenches, loving them uh, when they messed up, uh, that started making these connections relationally that we started seeing transformation take place through that. And it's like while we were engaging with them on that level, God was trying to teach me that like that's how he engages with us. And um, ultimately, I had this uh, encounter where God speak, you know, faith that works by love. And I, I woke up that morning and started looking through scriptures and I found the passage and I just started reading uh, in, in Galatians. And, and I was just like, let me read from the beginning, chapter one in context. And it's like scales fell off of my eyes when I started discovering like God's goodness and his grace. And that was nothing that I actually remember hearing or growing up learning about uh, God's goodness and his grace. Uh, everything was merit-based. You had to perform. You had to earn it. You, you were uh, fearful that you would lose it. And it's like a weight was lifted off uh, when I discovered that God was reaching out to me uh, relationally the way that we were trying to reach out to uh, the kids in our program. Uh, and it was just a game changer uh, from that moment on. Yeah, I've I've got to do I've got to do a little um, mentorship as well, and uh, seeing how I I try my best to show uh, a good Christian um, man point of view, and seeing like how they're taking it and everything, and just seeing it from a. a more of a father's point of view is, has really helped me as well in those things. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was amazing because, you know, the kids that we worked with, uh, we worked with teenagers. We didn't work with young kids. And the challenge was in not being, you know, bounced from foster home to foster home, to group home, to group home. Uh, they would use that language, you know, we want a forever home. Uh, but the challenge was when they would get into like a foster home, uh, there was always that threat and fear that they wouldn't perform right or they would mess up and get kicked out of the home and get put back in another group home or another foster home. Uh, there was never that security of, you know, this is it. This, you know, uh, you're not going anywhere else. This is your forever home. And I just started looking, it's like, man, I had some of those fears uh, in my my walk with with God, it's like if I mess up, if I make mistakes, uh, uh, will I get kicked out? Will I lose my salvation? And I realized that man, I was living not as a son but as a foster child uh, in my my relationship with God and uh, learning about love, grace uh, through uh, trying to father and love uh, these kids and then encountering Jesus in that really did away with that orphan type of mentality and realizing that like, man, I am fully accepted. I belong uh, as a son uh, because God has made me that, not because of anything that I could ever do uh, to earn it or lose it. And that, that, that again was a, a major a game changer for me. Yeah. I really love what you're saying, Keith, about how, you know, your, your experiences, um, in the, like the field of ministry, um, in many ways, those continued to teach and shape, um, who God was becoming in your life. Um, you know, it was that when you put your hands to the plow, it's there, God teaches you who you are and who he is by the way that we carry, uh, one another through hardship yeah. and difficulty. And, you know, for a short period of my life, I was, um, helping youth pastor a group of teens um, back in Cambridge, where I used to be from. And, you know, it's it, a lot of it was echoing a lot of what you were saying. Um, you know, you just kind of played some of the heartstrings on me because I remember those times when, you know, we had these teenagers that they had their addictions and their insecurities and fears. 
And a lot of them had ended up at our church because they, some of the area churches, they just, they couldn't really feel accepted or welcomed. But, you know, when they would come to us, it was a lot of like, you know, you can, you can teach out of a book or I can show you love yep. and then show you yep. like that love expressed through words. And it's, yeah. it's through that experience that really, I think, makes the huge impact and is the difference between the legalistic religion and the loving God that we know. That's right. That's right. No, that's so good. Yeah, those, those first kids that we were working with, you know, we they were there before us, you know, and and so they really challenged us, you know, uh, rejecting us and uh, they weren't really open. Uh, did what they could to try to get us to quit. And uh, my wife, Mia, and I just made this commitment. Where it was like, we're just going to stick in there no matter how hard, how dark, how bad it gets. We're going to stick in there for a year. We gave ourselves a year. Let's just endure whatever. And it's incredible overcoming, you know, scripture about overcoming evil with good. Um, when we would encounter moments where it's like they're lying on us or they're, uh, cussing us out in our face or, you know, getting spit on. Um, and then the next day you're making breakfast and um, you're treating them with kindness. Uh, it's amazing how over time where they're like, are you serious? <laughs> you're still here? You're still treating me this way? It's amazing how after that uh, their hearts were opened. And to this day, you know, this was about 20 years ago. To this day, those are the kids that we're probably uh, the closest to. They still consider us like in the role of like a mom and a dad um, because it's, they encountered something in that that really uh, gave them a security and a true experience of unconditional love. And it changed something. Um, and it's like, man, if that's not like what God does in our lives and when we finally get to this place of resting, and realizing that, man, we are loved and we are the beloved and we're accepted. Something transforms our hearts in that space. Yeah. No, that's really good. Wow. I'm uh, trying to take in all of all of the uh, all, of, <laughs> all of the wonderful, wonderful thoughts from uh, from mentoring, mentoring people that showing them firsthand how firsthand how Christianity is supposed to be versus maybe yeah. even what they have assumed Christianity is with yes right um like oh you got a law you got to do this thing oh i i messed up i guess god doesn't love me anymore or something yeah. like that where you understanding that god loves you and has been striving for you that's right and and has taken the the uh, the equation, if you want to put it, put it in math terms, where it's it's supposedly um, you and God trying to work something out. Where God said, "Hey, I'll take both sides. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take both sides. You don't have to do anything to mm. prove to prove to me anything. I love you unconditionally. Right. There's nothing you're gonna do to change my mind. That's right. So I I I just love seeing that in person seeing that yeah. in the flesh when that's lived out that's as right. as we echo what god has done for us and we're doing to other people that's right yeah well no well what i like what you were saying joel is that you know it it is interesting to see how the like exactly what keith was saying was that it's the persistence of love and the persistence of grace and kindness and acceptance that eventually that exactly what you say, Keith, it kind of peels the scales off of you because yeah. when, when you have like aggressive legalism that is just continuing for generation and generation and generation, because that's just what they've known. That's what they've been taught. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's what's caused people to leave. So then when you actually yeah. encounter people that that carry that genuine love of Jesus and that and the acceptance 
of God that, you know, we can look at one another and say, like, regardless of where you've been or where you're from, and regardless of where I've been and where I'm from, that we can go into a space not as two separate people, but actually equal beings found in the midst of this thing called love and of God. So then it's that right. as kindness perseveres, you see mm-hmm. the the anger and the perceived rejection that is found in religion so often starts to soften and those calluses actually start to fall away. Yeah, no, that's right. So good. <laughs> Keith, what, what would you kind of pinpoint as like, what areas do you think we could become better in, if that makes sense? Um, speaking as far as uh, in what context? So when, when it comes to like our engagement with other people and the way that kind of Christianity is represented and articulated to so many people, um, mm-hmm. is there... Anything that kind of when you see something that represents God poorly and it's just it yeah. within you, it kind of, I don't want to say set a fire maybe, but it kind of gets you going mm-hmm. of like, well, no, it's, it's almost looking at when people position others in a light that is not loving, but actually just this judgmental light. Yeah. Um, in what ways, yeah. like, do you think we could improve as a people and family of believers? No, that's good. No, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, just tracking with my, my experience, maybe I could maybe answer the question with just sharing personally for me. Um, following Jesus, you know, is, is like, for me, the core of discipleship is the core of the Christian journey is following the lamb wherever he goes. And that has been like my anchor. It's like my, my personal intimate walk with Jesus. And what I'm finding is he often comes to me whenever I'm lost. <laughs> and, and, and it's amazing, it, you know, starting off from when I first started following Jesus, you know, he showed up at my, my job at the park. Nobody was there. And he pulled me to himself. And now I'm on this journey. And, you know, there's times where we're lost and we're still at father's house. <laughs> you know, there's, there's times where we're lost and we're the prodigal. And then there's times where we're lost and we're still at father's house, you know, and you, you find that whole story of the prodigal and uh, the elder brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized that um, Jesus found me as a lost elder son in father's house and invited me into his party, <laughs> you know, which was a, a party that was a deeper experience of love and grace because it wasn't just love and grace for me, but it was love and grace for maybe those that I didn't think deserved love and grace. <laughs> it's incredible how there's layers of this. Mm. And, you know, when we read the, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, unfortunately the elder, you know, the brother uh, remained outside and he didn't enter in. Uh, but I would say for me and my experience is uh, the father came to me standing outside angry at his goodness. And I responded to his invitation to come in. Um, and so uh, I didn't realize I was lost in that moment because I'm at the father's house, but I was still lost. And uh, he brought me in and I learned a deeper level of God's goodness. Uh, and I, I look at it like this. I, I I am continually being undone by the kindness of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that, that's my language for how I would describe my own personal uh, journey of deconstruction and unlearning the things that I thought I knew and understood about myself, about God, about others. And 
it's as I'm constantly encountering the goodness and the kindness of Christ, these things that I have built and established in my understanding are just crumbling. Um, and that has taken me, you know, even to where I'm at right now, you know, uh, as, as a pastor, you know, we, we planted our church here in Worcester uh, towards the end of the summer of 2012. Um, I was still on my journey, and I'm still on that journey of discovering God's heart. And it changes you. You know, you, there's parts of you that has to die. And uh, as you are being exposed to uh, greater glory of, of revelation of, of his goodness, and we have a choice to make in those moments. And I would say for me during this journey, I really started seeing like my own uh, shortcoming, the shadow side of myself or the ego part of who I am and how that I didn't really truly know how to love in a way that God was calling me to love. You know, it's, it's one thing to love kids. <laughs> it's one thing to love, you know, these, these poor children who have been abused and hurt and neglected. And you realize you just, but now it's a challenge when you're having to like love adults. Hmm. Or how about this? Love people who you may perceive as an enemy. And, and I started realizing that I didn't have love to cover that. I, I was bankrupt. And I started realizing my poverty of spirit. And again, I started going through a metamorphosis of just things breaking up and discovered another place of God's goodness and love and his inclusivity uh, and realizing that it's like, you know, the table of the Lord, you know, that, that, that place where he, he says all are invited and welcome come, uh, you know, he, he doesn't make any exceptions where you come, you stay, you, it's like all come. And that, I don't know if I was quite in that place, you know? And so I'm, I'm discovering that again and uh, things are breaking up. And so in this process, I started seeing my own, you know, brokenness in that. And it's something about seeing your own brokenness that now you can also see the brokenness of those around you. Um, you know, it's almost like that Isaiah uh, 6 where, you know, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. And um, I started realizing that there was a shortage of love and empathy in compassion that I was witnessing in the body of Christ. And it started with me, you know. Um, and as I started growing and, and following Jesus into this place of what it meant to love the least, the last, and the lost, um, it, it just totally wrecked my, my world. And probably in a lot of ways wrecked uh, my influence with people because, you know, you start including in loving and being a peacemaker, uh, it, it puts you in a, a, in a place where sometimes you're misunderstood uh, by those who are around you. Um, and, and so that has been a, a challenging place for me. Uh, in this, you know, I'm, I'm discovering that love and grace uh, was not a theology, it wasn't a doctrine, it wasn't a teaching, but love and grace is a person. Mm. Uh, love and grace uh, is, is Jesus, and you can't separate grace from Jesus. If, if, you, if you do, you end up with something distorted, and that's where you have people, you know, uh, you know it's just hyper grace, you know, it's too much, like, you can't have too much of Jesus. But you can't have an imbalanced teaching, <laughs> yeah. you know. But when when grace and love is a person, you know, you can't like detach that, you know. Um, and so that's where I think some things for me started to really be challenged and to grow in um, is grace for me. 
I, I know it only in the context of Christ, not just as a doctrine of, you know, unmerited favor, but it's a person. And, and so as I'm following this person that's showing me love and grace, it's actually for me now to have it activated for me to show love and grace. You know, if, if grace only stops with, you know, my sins are forgiven, I don't have to earn this, I don't have to perform for acceptance. If it just stops there, I think it's incomplete. But it transforms you to the point where now you become loving grace for those around you. And that's in being a, a follower of, of Jesus. Uh, so anyway, I feel like I'm talking a lot. Uh, maybe I should pause and listen. <laughs> no, no, I I absolutely love what you're saying. This this is this is such a wonderful uh, wonderful time to talk. So, um, what is there something that that has been your either maybe this year or mm-hmm. or um, maybe your focus for your church in the past in the past yeah. well six to ten or so months or maybe well mm-hmm. she's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, definitely. Um, like I said, for me personally, going through my my deconstruction journey of uh, seeing the kindness and goodness of Christ, uh, I shifted, you know, I shifted some focus in, in my ministry. Um, and this probably started, you know, a few years back. It's been a gradual transition for me. Um, you know, our, our church has, uh, that we planted, was planted as a church going after revival, the prophetic um, you know, and, and just going after those things in worship and activation and equipping. And I, I got to a point where I was challenged by God asking me this question. He was just stripping this down. And, and again, this is me coming to this awakening of having unclean lips and living amongst people with unclean lips. I, I, I was confronted with this question. Did you learn to love? <laughs> And um, that question has taken me on a journey and put me on a trajectory of, uh, of really being challenged in my, my journey and my walk and even my ministry. Um, and I was prophesying and, you know, exploring the gifts of the Spirit, seeing healing, seeing miracles, and not really deeply being challenged to love people. And you could do all of that and not love. Um, and, I, and, I, and I was challenged to my core to put the focus in my ministry and what I was teaching on learning to love and being centered in Christ. And letting that be the soil that, you know, everything else grew out of, that, out of that center, out of love. You know, so gifts, prophecy, you know, ministries, everything has to grow out of the soil of love. And, and so I, I shifted the way I, I was preaching and teaching and discipling to emphasize that. Uh, and the, I'm telling you, I have never been more challenged in my faith than to learn to truly understand what it means to love. And so leading up to 2020, you know, each year I, I kind of pray and try to get a word of, okay, God, how do I lead? Uh, the church in this next coming year. And I, I received a word from God uh, in at the end of uh, 2019 that I was to focus 2020 on uh, five words. Um, humility uh, was, was one of them. Uh, listening. Um, reciprocity. You know, you reap what you sow. Um, I believe the other one was uh, maturation, maturing. Uh, yeah, fifth one is, I can't think of that one right now. Uh, but leading into that, I, I felt like this year was a year that we needed to focus on these, these words and all in the context of learning how to love. And so uh, little did I realize how much of that was going to be uh, needed to navigate 
uh, the craziness of 2020, uh, which was an incredible opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to learn how to love. I feel like it, you know, you never should waste a crisis and in everything there's a lesson uh, to learn to love. And I feel like that was our lesson for this year. And these words were kind of like the tools to help us uh, learn that. Um, looking at this, um, realizing uh, that if love is the ultimate thing that we're shooting for, it makes sense because God is love. And we, you know, are made in the image and likeness of God. <laughs> so that means, you know, we were made in the image and likeness of love. And that is our true identity at our core. That's who we are. We're love. And that love, uh, where God is loved, is, is relationship. You know, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's a relationship that expresses that that is the essence of love. You know, you can't be by yourself and be loved. You have to have another that you are pouring into and then being poured into in return. And it's like, that's the Trinity. It's just this incredible dance of, of love that, that we've been created in, that image and likeness. And so what I started seeing is like, man, I, I don't reflect and I don't show the image of God by myself <laughs> because God is relationship. God is love. And so I, I can only truly reveal the image and likeness of God in relationship and in community with other people as I'm loving and being loved. That's ultimately how I uh, reveal God. Um and, you know, you, you look at this in at the teaching of Jesus, it's like, you know, uh, this new commandment that I give you to love one another the way that I loved you. And the challenge of, you know, loving God and loving people and hearing that all the law and prophets hang on this one thing. And this, this is the primary gospel is to love. Um, and, and I feel like this year, 2020, uh, was a, a, a crucible. It was a moment to learn that, but it was also a moment to reveal what we are lacking in those areas. Um, and so I, I, I really feel like that's what we've been experiencing um, through all of the, the challenges of the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, all of those things. But then that leading into uh, a major moment of uh, a social justice revolution, you know, that started here in the U.S., but as you look, you know, around the globe, it was catching fire in other places as well. And it created opportunity and space for us to have conversations that were very difficult but needed to be had. And, and so I, I, that, to me, is all of this has been a part of that lesson of learning to love. Um, that word that I got, that this was going to be a year for us to focus on what it means to listen well. Um, the great uh, Shema, you know, in, in scriptures, you know, hear Israel, you know, the Lord is... Your God is one God. You to love the Lord with all, you know, it starts off with, you know, hear. Yeah, you have to hear before you can love the Lord, your God. And there's this connection between our ability to listen well with our ability to love well. And there's this connection there. Um, and so this also transfers, you know, uh, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God, but to love people. Well, if us learning how to love God starts with us listening to God, then our ability to love people also starts with our ability to listen to people and to hear one another. Um, uh, Bonhoeffer uh, has this uh, quote. <laughs> he said, just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning 
of love for others is learning to listen to them. I believe that, you know, this year was a challenge for that. In a year that, you know, seems to be so polarizing and toxic and divisive, uh, I believe those who learned how to listen in this season also learned how to love well and to navigate this season. That's been really hard. Um, another warning uh, Bonhoeffer had, uh, uh, he said, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but babbling in the presence of God. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and for his own follies. It's like this challenge of being able to listen well uh, is, is definitely been one for, for me personally, but it's been something that I've been ministering and trying to um, navigate for our church at this season uh, also. So Keith, let, let, let me ask you something. So, yeah. you know, we, we've kind of circled around the topic of like, you know, all of the things that have happened this year that have absolutely changed the trajectory of the way that the world runs right now. Yeah. Um, you're seeing just the, the whole gamut, it seems like, of political issues, um, civil issues, like health pandemic issues like it's just yeah. everything short of aliens have seemed to have happened <laughs> um so what and that's its own discussion anyways um so <laughs> so what would you like how would you articulate the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping in mm. the times that we live in right now yeah no so good man that loaded with some good questions. Um, you know, peacekeeping uh, sometimes could look like passivity. You know, peacekeeping sometimes looks like uh, status quo, not rocking the boat. And unfortunately, um, that has been a I think a, a misunderstanding of how we are to operate in light of things that are happening in our, in our world around us where there is conflict, there is problems, there, there are injustices. Um, sometimes it looks like if we could just, you know, quiet everybody from being angry, then we have peace, you know, um, let's keep the peace. And generally what happens is that those who are probably suffering under injustice go on suffering, but they just stay out of sight and out of mind. You know, it's like you're disrupting my comfort. You're disrupting, you know, my narrative that I want to hear and see and listen to. Um, and it's inconvenient. It's making me feel uncomfortable. And so if we could just get everybody to sing Kumbaya and hold hands, you know, then, then we'll have peace. But peacemaking is not passive. It's actually engaging uh, and, it, and it, it's at the risk of peril in order to do justice, you know, to make wrong things right. Uh, and it can cost you everything. Uh, and ultimately, Jesus modeled that, you know, uh, you know, he, he find you find this in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. But the Beatitude that follows that are blessed are those who are persecuted. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's preparing you if you're going to be a mm -hmm. peacemaker, you're also probably going to be someone who's persecuted. Uh, because you stand in the middle it's, it's not, it's not even, it's not, that's probably not even the best word, middle. You stand in between, 
You know, it's not like taking a middle ground. You stand in between conflict and you end up catching a bullet from both sides in order to build a bridge to bring about justice. And um, I, I believe Jesus modeled this by going to the cross. He was a peacemaker. He made peace and brought reconciliation by laying down his life, which was not passive at all, but it was a powerful act of resistance against hatred and violence and othering and all of those things. He said that he brought peace through his body, you know, and so for us to be peacemakers, we're ultimately architects of, of, of peace in a world that is torn of conflict and division. Uh, and then ultimately we pay the price in our suffering by being that. And love is what draws us to that. It's like we're compelled by love to be that. Um, and so I, I think that's so important, especially in the grace movement, to realize that uh, grace teaches us <laughs> and it, it motivates us to extend love to the least, the last, the lost, to, to be in those places uh, where we are actually doing the work of making peace. Uh, and I think that's really, really key. Um, God doesn't need our, our works. You know, we're accepted. We're, you know, but our neighbor does. <laughs> you know, our, our neighbor needs our faith to work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They, they need our uh, benevolence and our compassion and our mercy and our kindness. They, they need that to work. Um, and, and so I, I think sometimes, you know, uh, when you've been far in legalism and you discover grace, it almost could bring you to this place of, you know, let's just be peacekeepers now. We're all loved. Everybody is loved. And it's like, no, we're actually now called to enter into the darkness with love in the light to be peacemakers. And that is so needed right now. Mm, yeah. What what I love about, especially what you were talking about, um, sometimes in that, that kind of conversation, um, I think of the peacekeepers from the Hunger Game movies. It's gonna sound like it's gonna sound like I'm a yeah. huge Hunger Games fan, but I just recall certain details of things very well. So, so what I love is that you've got the people in the districts who mm-hmm. would just literally bow down whenever they're told because that's keeping the peace. Yep. You had the military coming in and saying, "This no, don't mess with our systems," and they're called peacekeepers. Yeah, what it took was a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of sacrifice yeah. by a small few to shake the systems that were in power as to right. bring about oneness Come on. with everyone. And yeah. I can't help but see the, yeah. the resonating messages that we see in some entertainment and things, but we see these messages that are of a deeper context that speak to the spirit in us that, that cries out for oneness with our brothers and sisters and is willing to yeah. challenge systems that say otherwise. That's right. That's right. No, that's so good. <laughs> that is so good. And that's really what we're called to right now. We we have the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're called to. Uh, and I think we need to go and learn what does that mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? You know, uh, which is a relational term, but it's also an accounting term. You know, there. this is the ultimate, you know, every mountain being brought low and every valley being exalted. This is where that takes place at, to have this reconciliation. Um, and that's where we have this word of, you know, in Christ, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You know, this was a one-up system, you know, for Jews. It's like, well, Jews, we're up here. You know, Gentiles are down here. It's like, no, but in Christ, you're both one. You know, uh, there's neither male or female. Again, in this system, males are up here, females are down here. It's like, not not in the kingdom, you know, uh, slave or free. You know, the free man is here, the slave is here. It's like, not in the kingdom. 
you know, this reconciliation mm-hmm. is mountains being brought low and valleys being raised up. And these are things that we look at as we are doing justice in the earth. What are the, the systems or what are the things that are broken around us that continue to create these disparities of peaks and valleys? And how do we go in as peacemakers to bring reconciliation to the one body that Jesus ultimately died for us to have? Amen. Wow. <laughs> what? I think I'm going to have to wrap it up here, but that's 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 just a great. This whole thing has been great, actually. Um, just you know, thinking through all these things is great. Um, yeah, Keith, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, um, well, you know, social media is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> I stick in I stick in social media because of connections with people. So the best way uh, would be uh, through either Facebook, um, Keith N. Smith. Um, I'm Twitter, you know, Pastor K tweets. Um, those are probably some of the best ways to get a hold of me. Our, our church, Gateway Church, is also on Facebook and um, Gateway Church in Worcester, and you could reach me through that also as well. Okay, awesome. Wow, guys. Another another episode to, you know, share. This, this is again more important stuff that that needs to be gotten out there. So, thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Love and Grace podcast. Um, like, share, comment. We're, we're, we'll we'll respond. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, and of course, on YouTube, doing video. So look for us, a Love and Grace podcast, and if, if you're listening, there's a video aspect. You get to see Keith. Um, if you're watching, you can take this in your car and listen to it while you're driving. Um, but again, thank you for joining us, and we will see you guys next time right here on the Love and Grace podcast. Bye. Bye.